Who felt some energy coming into them in that song? Appreciate the worship team. Really uh, lifting our hearts. It's fantastic. And, uh, of course, uh, pointing us to Jesus. Two weeks ago, we started studying through the book of Hebrews. And it really, the book of Hebrews really is an amazing book because the author's acknowledging following Christ has its challenges. There's, there's, some, there's some things to consider. And the Jews, he's, ta- he's talking to Jewish Christians here, who many of them were thinking, now that Jesus has come, the Messiah is here, everything's going to be so much easier. And so this is actually one of the latest letters that we have. And we read last time, two weeks ago, the, the writer even talks about those who saw the Lord performing signs and wonders and miracles, sort of implying that he wasn't himself an eyewitness, but was an eyewitness of the eyewitnesses, so to speak. And uh, so that's where we're at today, and now 2,000 years later, we're witnesses of the witnesses. Uh, I'm so grateful for the Bible. It's so awesome to have this now 2,000-year-old message written by people who saw Jesus, who knew Him. And uh, understanding that the writer of Hebrews had a prophetic gift, people in the next generation after those, the apostles that came, a number of them were given this kind of ability to be able to speak words from God for our encouragement, inspired words. And so we have this book of Hebrews that really focuses in on just who Jesus is. And what that means for our lives today. We looked through chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2 last time. And there we talked about Jesus being the radiance of God. And that's an interesting statement to make about Jesus because Jesus still looked like a man on the outside. Just because you saw Jesus didn't mean you believed He was the Son of God. In fact, many people saw Jesus and didn't believe He was the Son of God. He didn't fulfill their expectations. They were expecting a son of God to look different than Jesus did. And and the gospel that Jesus presented wasn't the gospel that they wanted to hear. And so it is interesting, the Hebrew writer says, that Jesus was the radiance of God. He was the exact representation of God. And yet that wasn't enough for many people. Because he was clothed in flesh. And so when you looked at Jesus, you saw God, but you also saw man. And what the Hebrew writer wanted us to see, that when we look at Jesus, we see God speaking. Not just a prophet, not even an angel, but we see God in the flesh. Well, then we come into chapter 2, and that's where we'll pick it up. Because if you would summarize that first lesson, Jesus the radiance of God, now we have Jesus our brother in the flesh. And we have this combination of God and man in Jesus that is amazing, that really is a wonder, something that's just hard for us to get our head around, that that the infinite, eternal God could put himself into human flesh and live a life like us. But you think about it, when Jesus was on the earth and he said, I'm the Son of God, he was speaking from an infinity of experience. And we know that He was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. I mean, when Jesus said, 
I'm God. He, he wasn't lying. But then Jesus would say, I'm man as well. I'm the son of man, his favorite title of himself. Because he also wanted us to realize he not just understands God and represents God, but he understands us. Now just imagine if you were on trial for something and you had a lawyer who did not understand you. Wouldn't that be frustrating? You'd be trying to get this guy to to feel for you, to understand for you, your situation, your circumstance. But he's, he doesn't get you. Would they, is that the person that you want to represent you? No, you want someone who when they hear your story, they go, I'm on your side. Oh yes, I'm happy to defend you. I understand you. Yes, we're going to make sure you get even more than justice. We'll, you'll get what is best for you. And see, that's what Jesus is doing for us. He became like us. And that's why the book of Hebrews talks about Jesus being made perfect. Because it took time for him to become not God, he was that already. But to become our representative, he had to go through some life. He had to experience his flesh. He had to know what it's like to be tempted, what it's like to be hungry, thirsty, to be in need. He had to know all of these things so that he would understand us. If Jesus just was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, what would he know about us? If Jesus was just, his life was effortless, and everything he attempted to do just came like that to him, and God just showered him down with every blessing right immediately... What would Jesus know about us? Instead, Jesus suffered in this world. He became like us. And it's really amazing to think about it because by becoming like us, we can actually truly become like Him. By becoming like us, we can now imitate Him. Can you imagine God from heaven saying, imitate me? And you're like, well, you're in heaven. I'm I'm down here. But he's saying, imitate me. I mean, how would you respond to that? But when God in the flesh says, I understand you, I know you, follow me. That's a completely different message, isn't it? And God went to great lengths. He made a sacrifice to give us Jesus in the flesh. So let's just start reading here in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 9. It says... It is not the angels that he has subjected the world to come, speaking of God, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels, you crowned him with glory and honor, you put everything under his feet. And putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at the present we do not see everything subject to him, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Well, this is an amazing concept. And he's quoting here uh, Psalm chapter 8. And this is talking about man being lower than the angels. Now, if if there was an angel present today and an angel stood there and a man stood there, you'd see there was more glory in an angel. 
than in a man. There was something amazing and miraculous about that angel. But, but what he's saying here is Jesus actually became even less than an angel in power. He became like a man. Just hold your finger there. Look over in Philippians 2 for a moment. One of the most beautiful descriptions of the incarnation of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. And we'll pick it, we'll pick it up in verse 5. It says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus became human for us. Can you imagine giving up divinity in this sense? Giving up the power, the omniscience, the omnipresence, the omnipotence of being God. He gave all of that up to become a man. That's a downgrade. You know, most of us are trying to upgrade things in our lives, whether, you know, it's our computers or our cars or, you know, whatever mechanical things we're dealing with. You know, the idea of an upgrade is always encouraging. How do you feel when you have to downgrade? How do you feel when, you know, something happens with your car and there's not enough money to go do something better? You actually take a step backwards or in your home or just in your life. You know, we, we don't like that. No one likes losing a freedom. No one likes losing ability. One of the scarier things about growing old is simply not being able to do everything you used to do. And what I'm told, the secret is just appreciate every stage for what it's worth, okay? Don't try to compare them to each other. Just appreciate what, where you are and, and, and how you're living. But it's so easy to think, but I want better, I want this, I want that. Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to, but let it go for us. It's amazing. And He became a human being. You know, it says here, he took the very nature of a servant, that's a very light translation, the very nature of a slave, is what it says in the text, being made in human likeness. You know, if you're a human being, guess what? You're, you're by nature a slave. And your only freedom is to choose who you'll serve. That's your freedom. You, you don't have a, any other choice. You just choose masters. You don't have enough power to make another choice. Jesus became a man and then faced a choice. What will he serve? Who will he serve? His own flesh? Or will he serve God? And we know in the Garden of Gethsemane, he saw he had a choice. And he even actually knew what he wanted. He didn't want to die. But he said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus became completely human Though in his soul, and his being, he was completely God and had the kind of love that only God can have. But back in Hebrews chapter 2 again, it says, By the grace of God, he tasted death for everyone. See, there's something in the sacrifice of Jesus that can actually free us from death as well. 
He didn't stay in death because of the sacrifice of his life. He lives forever with God. He's been restored to the right hand of God. But can you imagine giving up equality with God just to help someone else? Jesus did that. He became a servant out of love for us. Well, let's go back to uh, Hebrews 2 and we'll start reading in verse 10. It says, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. You know, it's interesting. In Philippians 2, it talks about Jesus being given glory, the highest glory possible. His name now is above every name. He's been given the highest glory. The Hebrew writers is, is saying he actually wants to share that glory with us. And so it wasn't just about himself ending in glory. It was bringing many brothers to glory. Many sons to glory. Verse 11, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. You know, there, there's a word back in verse 10. It says, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. This word author, it's a very interesting Greek word, archegos. And it's, it's a hero. I like to think about it that way. That works with the preteens. Jesus is a hero. He's a hero for us. He fought a battle for us. One of the other definitions is originator or author. And in the Greek mythology, this was spoken of about Zeus, that he was where the world came from. He had that creative power. But Philo, who was a Jewish historian in the time of Jesus, when he talked about um, this word, he used it as a captain, a military leader. And so this word author has some nuances, but they're fantastic. Because Jesus is the originator. He's our captain. He leads us. He's our hero. You know, if you look over in Acts 5, you can see this word used again. Acts 5, and we'll start reading. Verse 29, Acts 5, verse 29. It says, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. You know, the word that's translated prince is the same word author, captain, hero. There's royalty in this term. Because if you establish a kingdom, whether you were a king or not before, when you establish a kingdom, you become a king. Jesus established God's kingdom on earth, and He is our king. He's the king of kings. You know, flip back to Acts 3, again in a sermon by Peter. Acts 3. And we'll pick it up in verse 13. 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had, dis- though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. So think about who Jesus is. He's God become flesh, but he's such, he's so spectacular because he's our hero. He's the originator of his kingdom. And he came to to lead us by example. God has never asked us to do anything that he isn't willing to do himself. What kind of God is that? Oh yes, I'd like you to follow me, to follow this way of righteousness, but let me demonstrate how it's done. I'm going to send my son in human flesh to show you the way. You know, we see another this word used again in the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12. And after talking in Hebrews 11 about all these great examples of people of faith who persevered, who didn't give up, and therefore would receive what had been promised. Look what it says in chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, we see again, he is the author and perfecter of our faith. The perfecter. In other words, if you look to Jesus, you will understand what faith is. If you follow Him and live like Him, that will be a life of faith. And that's a pretty high standard, isn't it? Now praise God, He's also the author, originator, and He's the the one that's shown us the way, but He's also our Savior. He doesn't leave us alone to follow Him on this path. Just the opposite. He walks with us. He works through us. He lives in us. And it's great that we're not by ourselves. It's great that, in fact, we are with each other. He's given us each other to really encourage and work together. You know, it's interesting. um, There's a movie called The Matrix. And in the movie The Matrix, it's, it's all about, I won't get into the whole backstory, but basically machines have taken over the world and human beings are all subjugated and they're basically being used as, as bio-batteries, okay? So all human beings are attached to this machine. They think they're living normal lives, but it's all an illusion. They're in this computer program. And so most human beings are th- that way, but a few are on the outside. A few knew the, know the truth. And they're trying to win the war against the machines, So they took this one guy off the machine and they're trying to show him that his life's just been an illusion. And so they they jack him back in. They sort of plug him back into the machine and show him that it's an illusion. But there's this one scene, it's it's very interesting. He's in this illusion of standing on the top of an 80-story building. 
And um, he's with the other guy who's experienced, who's been in the illusion before. He knows all about it. He knows the truth. And so he says, just follow me. Do what I'm going to do. Now there's another building about 500 yards away. And so this guy runs and he jumps the whole 500 yards and lands on top of the other building. And then he goes back, you know, it's your turn. So the, the, the new guy, he, he walks up to the edge and he looks down and he's like, but he keeps thinking, I've, saw, I've seen this guy jump. He, he can do it. It, it. It's possible. So he takes a running start and he jumps and everything's going pretty good till he looks down. And the moment he looks down, he just goes, you know, 80 stories down. And then because it's an illusion, he doesn't get killed. He just kind of, you know, the... the the, the, ground, the ground acts like a sponge kind of thing, and he bounces. He, I mean, he, he's just in shock. And then the comment is made, no one ever makes their first jump. See, next time he makes this jump, he won't be afraid of dying, because he, he knows it won't kill him. And instead of keeping his eye on the guy ahead of him, he instead focused on his fears. This really, this really ties into the book of Hebrews. Because it's our fear that makes us take our eyes off Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's made it. Where is Jesus right now? We read this in chapter 1. He's at the right hand of God. Now, where is that? That's in heaven. He's saying, come follow me. I'll bring you here. And so Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. You know, going back to uh, chapter 2 again, he makes these uh, two uh, scripture quotes. He He said that the author of our salvation needed to be made perfect through suffering. And we're going to find out that in our own Christian lives, though our sins are forgiven, as long as we're alive in this flesh, there's going to be a perfecting going on. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's still some suffering in your day-to-day life. Anyone suffer last week? Okay. There's still some suffering going on. Now, the author and perfecter of our faith, he suffered. And as we read, you know, he never sinned. We know that we do, but that's where the Savior side of this equation comes in. We're, We're covered by his blood. But that doesn't mean there won't be trials. Because God is perfecting us. And in that process, bringing honor and glory to Himself. Look at the scripture He quotes in verse 12. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. That's quoted from Psalm 22. Again, keep your finger in Hebrews, but go back to Psalm 22. This is one of the prophecies about the crucifixion. And it begins with some very familiar words, Psalm 22. Have you heard this before? Verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, this was Jesus' words on the cross. He couldn't have made it any clearer. Who am I? I am the one of whom Psalm 22 is talking about. And how did Jesus feel in this moment? He felt forsaken. Because justice wasn't being done. And he was perfect. And if anyone deserves justice, it's a perfect person. But Jesus didn't receive justice. Because he was demonstrating that actually, he doesn't want to give us justice. 
He wants to give us mercy, which is contrary to justice. And so he, he suffered for us. Look what it says a little further. It says in uh, verse 12 of chapter 22, Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax, it is melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. One of Jesus' other sayings on the cross, I'm thirsty. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. A thousand years before the crucifixion, David, through the Holy Spirit, was saying exactly what was going to happen to Jesus. Amazing. But you know, if you go a little further down, verse 22 He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation I will praise him. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. You know, our our Savior, the author and perfecter of our faith, was God in the flesh, willing to face the cross for us. And he is our protector. He is our hero. Look over in Isaiah 8, because this is where the other two uh, quotes come from, from Hebrews 2. Isaiah chapter 8. Look what it says here. It says, uh, we'll pick this up in verse 16. It says, bind up the testimony and seal up the law among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is, my hide, who, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Here I am and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. You know, it says, I will wait for the Lord who at this moment... 750 years earlier, he's hiding his face from Israel, but he says, I will put my trust in him. And the Hebrew writer says, this is speaking about Christ. And then he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Interestingly, even in verse 16, he mentions disciples, my followers. See, we are his followers, but we're even more than that. We're his brothers and sisters. What an amazing picture. Can you imagine have been really a physical brother or sister to Jesus? It must have been pretty shocking when they actually figured that out. We know from the Gospels that there was a time in the ministry of Jesus where even his brothers hadn't quite figured out who he was. But the good news is they came to faith. And we, you know, we don't know the, the total count, but we know at least James and Jude became followers of Jesus. They would later become authors of two letters in the New Testament. But we are his brothers and sisters. He knows us. This, this verse in, in verse 17, um, Jesus was also the stone that was rejected. And if you go back into this passage, back uh, just a little earlier, uh, it talks about uh, in verse 14, he will be a sanctuary, but both houses of Israel 
For both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes them to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a, a snare. Many of them will stumble, they will fall and be broken, they will be snared and captured. Jesus himself used this scripture to describe his ministry, that not everyone would accept him. See, the the scripture predicted Jesus would be crucified. The scriptures predicted the author and perfecter of our faith would suffer. But people don't want to believe that. They don't want to follow the suffering servant. They want to follow only the one in glory. But the path to glory is through suffering. We share in His glory, Romans 8, by sharing in His suffering. And so we can't just say, I want the end result. Bring heaven right now. As long as we're alive, we're living with Jesus. The good news is the suffering's worth it. The suffering, it's not a punishment. It's a perfection. God loves and disciplines He disciplines those He loves. Now let's go back to Hebrews 2 again. Verse 14. says, Since the children have flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity, so that by His death He might destroy Him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who, who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And for this reason he has has had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus can help us. Now, one way he helps us is just having finished the course. Knowing that he's already in heaven. Who wants to go to heaven? Okay, great. There's only one way to get there. That's by following Jesus. And that road won't always be easy. Because we're following Jesus. That road will have its difficulties. But that's because we're following Jesus. And it brings glory to God. When we persevere and follow him. He shared in our humanity, in our flesh and blood... And he overcame death. He destroyed the work of the devil. He knows our weakness. And he suffered when he was tempted. I don't know about you, but even though I've been baptized and came up out of the water, received the Holy Spirit of God, my flesh is still tempted. Temptation didn't just fall away. But see, there is one who was tempted and did not sin, and that is the author and perfecter of our faith. And He's the one that gives us the power and the faith to overcome temptation. And even when we fail, His sacrifice atones. You know, it's interesting. We read about in the first chapter, Jesus is the messenger. But what we actually come to understand it, He's also the message. Here we hear that He is the high priest. But He's also the sacrifice. Talk about a complete system. The messenger is the message. The high priest is the sacrifice. It all is in Jesus. And it all is for us. And so what's his conclusion? Let's just finish with chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. He says, Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. 
He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. You know, it gives us a command here. At the end of the first passage, the first declaration, Jesus being the radiance of God, he said in chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard. This is what we need to do. We need to focus on the message of Jesus and on the person of Jesus. And then he says at the end of this passage, you share in its heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. You know what's going to get you through next week? Fixing your thoughts on Jesus. You know what's going to get you through the next time you're tempted? Fixing your thoughts on Jesus. You know what's going to get you through the next time you feel like, that's not fair what's happening to me right now? Why am I suffering? Fixing your thoughts on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. Because Jesus came through everything just like us, and yet without sin. He was made perfect and became the sacrifice for us. And His priesthood, how could He represent us without knowing us, without understanding us? He says that Jesus is the Apostle and the High Priest. See, it's both sides. The Apostle, He's the one sent by God, representing God. But the High Priest, He's the one who stands between us and God, representing us. And through His sacrifice, we are saved. Hold on to courage and hope. If we're going to face the lives in front of us, if we're truly going to follow Jesus, we need these two things. We need courage and hope. You've got to face these challenges and be excited about them. We're following a hero. We're following a prince. We're following an author. He is the originator, the perfecter. He is from God. In fact, He is God. But he was also man, and he knows us. Boy, it doesn't get any better than this. God knows us in and out. Because he sent his son to be just like us. And the good news is, Jesus persevered. He was faithful to the end. He's our faithful high priest. He offered a sacrifice once and for all. You know, we're not offering a sacrifice for our sins. That's impossible. But we are offering the sacrifice of fellowship, of love, of appreciation to God. We make our own sacrifices for God. And God appreciates them. We are following the one who went before. We're following Jesus, the Son of God. Our own flesh and blood who represents us. Let's bow together as the worship team comes up and takes their place. Our Father and God, what an amazing story. If someone was just to tell us this with no context, with no history, with no real scripture to back it up and an understanding of scripture, it would be hard for us to believe that the creator of the universe would actually come into human flesh and live as a person. Father, it's, it's, the truth in this case is stranger than fiction. Fiction. 
that you would love us so much. And Father, what this book of Hebrews will show us is that though all religion looks to what needs to be sacrificed to you, what you have shown us through the gospel is that you are the God who sacrifices for us. What an amazing picture. You do ask us to sacrifice. You do ask us to give up everything. But only after you have done exactly that for us. And Father, you've even given us uh, perfection in Jesus Christ, something we could never attain. And you've given us forgiveness from our sins, something we could never earn. And you've given us a hope in heaven, which is beyond our understanding. Father, you have given us so much. I pray that we appreciate that the Spirit in us, the Spirit of your Son, has already been perfected in his human walk. And Father, we are walking with him now. Help us to keep in step with that Spirit. Help us to show the fruits, not of our character, but of your character. Help us to show the desire and will, not of our will, but your will. Help us, Father, to walk together with the Spirit you put in us to be your children and to be your people. And Father, if there's anyone here today that's not yet made that decision to have your Spirit in them, to respond through repentance and baptism to the gospel, Father, really pray that they will think about what you offer through Jesus Christ. And Father, the fear of death has been removed through faith in your Son, Jesus. I pray that we will walk fearlessly out, full of courage this week, to really face whatever you allow to come our way. And that, Father, we will see that in whatever suffering we go through, it can be to your glory. Father, we thank you that our life isn't just all suffering. We thank you for the many good times that we share, for the many times where our needs are covered and met, when, in, when we feel like your blessing is strong on us. And Father, we, we have all we, we could desire. Father, I pray that that spirit of contentedness can also be part of who we are. And even as we go through difficulty, help us always to remember that you have a purpose of refining and perfecting us in your son Jesus. Father, we thank you for our hero, Jesus. I pray that we can follow him with all of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.